Good evening. We're actually working on our fourth overflow room for the lecture. So uh, uh, on behalf of the Public Lectures Committee, welcome everyone to the Stafford Little Lecture. This is one of five uh, university-wide endowed series. It was founded in uh, 1899 with a gift from Harry uh, Stafford Little of the class of 1844. Mr. Little suggested that Grover Cleveland, who was ex-president of the United States at the time, be invited to deliver yearly lectures. And indeed, President Cleveland was a Stafford Little lecturer until his death in 1908. Other lecturers in this series have included President Theodore Roosevelt, Thurgood Marshall, Arnold Schoenberg, and Albert Einstein. I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, tonight's tonight's lecturer, Mr. Frank Geary, will be introduced by Professor Mario Gandalsonas, who is acting dean of the School of Architecture. And... um, I should add that Mr. Frank Geary actually does not give lectures, um, and so the Public Lectures Committee is actually very grateful to Dean Gandalsonas because he has been really instrumental in getting uh, Mr. Geary to come to Princeton. Dean Gandalsonas. Good evening. Um, I want to start with a story. Uh, One day, I asked Frank Gehry a question. I was starting my analytical work on the city of LA, and I wanted to know where he would start. This was 1985. We were at his famous house in Santa Monica, your kitchen, actually, looking at a map of LA, he pointed at Wilshire Boulevard and answered without hesitation, right here. And he was right. With the same powerful intuition, he captured with the Guggenheim Bilbao the essence of that city, transforming its landscape, its economy, its place within Europe and the world. Bilbao is not the exception. All his buildings embody the energy that flows from the places they inhabit and reflect that energy back to their context. They touch us visually, emotionally, and also pragmatically in a particular way in which they question our conventions and the programs they inhabit. They appeal to a wide audience and not just to architects, artists, intellectuals. Frank Gehry has achieved with his building something unique, the reconnection of architecture to culture in its deepest and broadest sense. That is perhaps one of his major accomplishments. The Brunner Award, the Pritzker Prize, which is considered our Nobel Prize, the Nobel Prize for Architects, the Wolf Prize in Art, the premium imperial award by the Japan Art Foundation Association only confirms the unique place Frank Gehry's work occupies within and without architecture. 
This lecture represents a very special occasion, an anticipation of the building he's designing for us. And it is with great pleasure that we welcome you to Princeton, Frank. About this, all I can say is you should see the other guy. <laughs> I may have to uh, sit down. Could you put the microphone down toward your mouth? Oh. Well, they got me mic here. Uh, so I'm going to echo, maybe. Anyway, I'll probably have to sit down, but I'll stand a bit, and, and if you'll allow me, ramble. I did bring some pictures to show you of... Uh, work I'm doing that hasn't been over-published like the other stuff. Um, I thought I was coming to speak to the architecture school, and now tonight I realized I'm not only speaking to the architecture school, but I'm speaking to the whole schmear here. <laughs> and and uh, it's being broadcast on the web, and if I'd known that earlier, I could my wife could have been watching so she could give me a crit later. Uh, what what uh, the gentleman said that I don't lecture isn't quite true. I do lecture. I have lectured a lot, but I, I, I've been quitting. I've been trying to quit lecturing. Uh, I just turned 73, and I thought I should concentrate on the work, because that's, if I do that better than lecturing. Um, I have a very close friend named Richard Serra. You know his work. And on a television program recently, he said architecture was plumbing. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about plumbing, but uh, I thought, I always thought architecture was considered an art, isn't it? That, is that right? <laughs> So I didn't think there was any dispute. And uh, I, I spent all my life since I, I was started into this, this uh, profession, even in school, always trying to bring the artists and the architects together because I thought at, at, at some point you arrive at the same moment of truth, I like to call it, where you have to decide... Um, the shape, the color, the texture, uh, and and what the what the thing looks like eventually, and it's disconcerting because Richard has been to my office, coming for years. We have this uh, odd couple relationship that he comes to my office. He get he ha he knows how to get in when I'm not there, and he looks at all the projects. And then when I arrive, he's ready to sit me down and gives me a crit. And he says, tells me what he doesn't like and what he likes and then what I should do <laughs> and how I should change it. And for him to come up with that was kind of funny, but we've discussed it. We've had, our, we've had words since then. <laughs> uh, the only problem I have with, with Richard is 
he can criticize, but he doesn't like it when I do the, do it in reverse. <laughs> so I won't. I, w- I have some things to criticize him for, but I think I won't do it here. Um, other thing that that happens to me is that people when they interview me want to see how I crumple up paper to make the buildings <laughs> and they think it's some kind of magic trick that you I, I look at the site and then I crumple up paper and then I computerize that and build a building <laughs> and I, I wish that were so but it's not. Uh, I have two colleagues in the audience tonight, Craig Webb and Larry Ty. They can prove that I don't. I drive them nuts. Um, Craig Webb is a Princeton graduate, so you, you can take his word. <laughs> the I'm very I'm very interested in building the buildings. And if you want to build buildings, you, you get serious about the process. And the process of building requires that you deal with a client, and then you deal with bureaucracy and budgets and state of the economy. If there's fluctuating economy, steel prices go up. If the, there's a lot of building going on in the area, Concrete prices go up. Um, and we've tried in, to develop a really uh, efficient architectural practice that deals with the business of the, the office, because I didn't start out with rich, rich parents, and I had to start from scratch. And so uh, it put a lot of pressure on getting things built, getting things done efficiently, and running the office uh, efficiently. Now, the, an office, an architectural office with 120 to 130 people is kind of like a business, and you have to have a good sense of how to manage that and to keep it going. And I started out with several rules. One was that I wouldn't borrow any money. I'm sure you're not interested in hearing all this, but I like to <laughs> like to ramble. <laughs> It'll mean something when you see the pictures. Um, and I always insist on paying everybody that works for me, and because a lot of a lot of firms use uh, student labor as interns, and I just could never bring myself to do that. So it forces you. It's a discipline that forces you into creating an office from the beginning that, that is disciplined and that can uh, ride the waves of the economies and, and the, the waves of, of uh, rejection and approval that you get as you go through years of being an architect. Uh, we have, because of the kind of work I got myself into, with curves, uh, we have become very reliant on computers. And 
I'm not going to show you any computer pictures because I hate them. I don't know how to turn on the computer myself. I have one that that you voice activate and turn on, but it doesn't recognize me half the time. <laughs> so it sits there silently in judgment. Um, but I have partners that do know about the computer and did miraculously get us into a relationship with SO Systems and Katia, their software. Um, now in my office we have five people full-time working only on developing software and, and uh, uh, ways to reorganize re the architectural process. And it's just the beginnings of it. And, but my dream is to go from the design without drawings through to the end of construction, including the building department, the insurance, the lawyers, and all that stuff. Now, the aircraft industry does it. And probably you all know the 777 was done paperless. The building we did in Seattle, a, a hunk of it was done paperless like that. So, and it, what it does for the profession is it makes the architect the parent again. Because the AIA, the, our, our, our professional organization, is so protective of its members that it infantilizes us in the relationship with the construction industry. And the flipping of it with the computer, which is so bloody accurate that um, you can you become more responsible and more more able to serve the client and and uh, more in charge, almost like the master builders of the past. We're doing we're about to embark on doing experiments in four cities using, and, and I haven't gotten approval of this yet, but I'll just tell you about it, of using the computer uh, setting up stations in the building department so that the, uh, the approval process goes online. And that could streamline the process. If you can cut, uh, construction industry is the largest industry in the world, if you cut six months out of the construction process and multiply it by all the buildings in the world, it's an enormous amount of money that could be saved. So that's my sideline <laughs> uh, that we got into just because of the way we're working, and, and I'm getting more and more excited about it. The... Uh, I can't design on the computer. I've tried it in one case using, it's a building in Berlin, which I'm not going to show, I don't think. I don't think it's in the slides, but it was completed last year. And it has a uh, figural piece as a conference room that I developed most of it. Craig and I did it on the computer. And What's despicable about the computers, and I was begging at dinner tonight that somebody uh, redo the graphics because the 
when you when I see my work replayed on the computer, it turns me off. And I I I would if I didn't have my models and drawings and stuff in the design process, I would probably not be able to continue with the work because it, it's such a uh, dastardly image. All d dries out, takes all the juice out, and makes them uh, impossible to to continue with. But having said that, I did this one form on the computer. I was I didn't do it. So somebody was manipulating controls, and I said, "Push up here, move down here." You know, it was like, I was like painting this shape into existence. And I could watch it for three and a half minutes, 3.4 minutes exactly, uh, before I ran screaming out of the room. Like It was like putting your finger in the fire. And the reason is because you have a, a uh, image, I call a dream image, or what, what you you're, want to build, or what you think you want to build. And you look at it on the computer and it looks horrible. And so you have to keep the dream image in your mind while you're manipulating this terrible dried out thing. And you just can't physically do it for more than 3.4 minutes. <laughs> now maybe somebody else. But the new generation of architects is working uh, entirely on, on computers. And... Um, I don't know how they do it. I haven't. We haven't seen buildings that have come out of that process uh, that are, are things we want to look at. So <laughs> I think uh, what I really believe it's like anything else. Some artist type architect will figure it out and be able to stay online for an hour. And, and make it and uh, learn to play with it. But it would help a lot if, if somebody, maybe from Princeton, could put together a team to change the uh, image so that the graphics is more friendly uh, design tool so it doesn't uh, dry it out. Okay, now I'm going to show you pictures. Um, this is the Walt Disney. Con I, I'm blocking you guys. Can you see? Okay. It's the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles. We've been working on it for 12 years. Uh, it started and stopped. Uh, it was it was poorly managed the first time, uh, with by decent people, but because of the complexity of it. And uh, they uh, made some big mistakes. It was originally designed in stone because um, the client asked for a stone building. And I liked the idea of the stone because at night, stone picks up the ambient light and it feels welcoming. And uh, metal, which we ended up with, at night goes black. But after Bill Bao, on the reorganization of this project, the client insisted that we do, do, do it in metal because it saved $5 million. Um, at first, I balked at it. And then I, 
got angry and started. I said, all right, I'll show them. I'll do it. I'll, you know. And I ripped off all the stone representation on the models. And uh, we, Craig and I started playing with it and realized, great, it's a new building. We can change some of the mistakes that would have been built had it been built in stone. And, and uh, so it became an, a new project kind of to work on. So we, we fixed some of the things. But it is now a stainless steel building. And this picture, as you can see, is the same. This line is the same as this. And there's a window at the back of the hall so that when you go up to the back seats, like up there, there's a window like you have here. So that usually in these halls, you go to the back seats and, and uh, you get a blank wall. And uh, in early evening concerts, you'll be able to get sunset from there. There are also windows into the main hall. Uh-oh, I did something wrong already. Pushed the wrong button. Uh, there's windows in the corners that'll bring natural light in, and the skylight is back here so that... Uh, a Sunday afternoon concert is going to be a lot more pleasant to be in than, uh, than it would have be with, if it was blacked out. We spent months and months, and we, this is only a small group of the models that we worked on trying to understand the acoustics. We had an acoustician from Japan who didn't speak much English, and uh, when, when I started, I went to Berlin and met uh, Sharoon's uh, acoustician, Dr. Kramer. He was 85 then, this was 12 years ago. And uh, he had worked with Von Karajan and Sharoon on uh, the Berlin Philharmonie. And we brought our Japanese acoustician over, uh, and we, we had dinner together. And the... Before that, uh, Dr. Kramer had told me that a great concert hall would be, was it like this, Craig? No. I'm lost. Here, I'm sorry. That it would be widest at the, uh, at the, uh, orca where the orchestra sits. And Dr. Uh, Toyota, said that it's better if it's narrower where the orchestra is. <laughs> so I had them both in dinner, and I asked them to explain the differences, because each one had told me how much respect they have for the other one. <laughs> I wouldn't want to repeat that dinner. It got nasty. <laughs> uh, by comparison, this is the, the uh, Concertgebouw, and that's... Um, this is Concertgebouw, and that's Boston. But they're smaller because the codes had smaller seats. Everybody wanted the hall to be like this. The Philharmonic wanted this. Uh, Toyota wanted this. And so I ended up making this <laughs> here. So this is about the same scale as that. You can see it, it got bigger. Uh, the hall is wood because wood is psychoacoustic. People think it sounds better.
And uh, th there's a lot of psycho stuff in, in doing concert halls because, you know, the opening night is a dev devastating if you do the wrong things. Like in Philadelphia, they had Elton John open the concert hall, which really hurt their image. I don't know why they did that. But. <laughs> and it takes... It, the f those of you who are musicians know that the first night when you sit there and you play and you can't hear the other musicians or something, you feel it's too brittle, the sound, or too uh, boomy or whatever they call it, uh, that's it. From then on, it's a terrible haul. So you got one night, period. <laughs> and you have to prepare for that night uh, very carefully with the press and with the with the right program and all, all of those things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm already laying down my excuses in case it fails. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a very intimate hall, and this is, uh, the orchestra will be at this level. That's this. Uh, very fancy organ that Craig and I played with and did. We followed all the acoustician's advice, and we ended up with that nice billowy sail-like forms. I'm a sailor, and I like being in the, uh, going wing on wing with the jib and the main and that space that it creates. And I think that it's, was inspirational. Once I started playing with the acoustics, and it led me there. And so the, uh, I wanted the outside of the building to, at least in some way, be of the same language as the inside. So there's the box, and this box actually comes through here and is literally a box. You can kind of see it. And it has a sloped roof lowered over the orchestra. And so that represents exactly the diagram of the acoustician. And then there's elevators on each side and, and uh, toilets and things like that. And they're in these boxes. And I just twisted them slightly. It's not that, it looks like a lot, but it's, uh, if you took one of these panels out, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even see this, the curve in them. It's so slight. That's the stainless. And the whole building will be covered with it. The concrete is here because it, this building had to be designed for um, helicopters. Uh, so that it, when they do recordings, it doesn't disturb the, the recording. And so it's much heavier looking than it would be if that weren't the case. This is MIT. It's under construction. The Charles River, the old dome, uh, a lot of IMP buildings a master plan that was much more uh, uh, rational, considered, uh, developed by SOM and, and IMP over the years. And uh, the new president and, and uh, faculty wanted something else. And they, they said they wanted a building that was conducive to interaction between these seven departments that were going to be housed here, including Noam Chomsky, 
and he told me he wanted an office with a window that falls out so the squirrels can come in. This is how we start. So I guess you would, I'm, I'm bringing you in. We've already done the crumpled paper one way in advance. I think. Or maybe it appears. There it is. <laughs> uh, it's a shorthand way of, of for me, of, of getting started. It's not uh, the way it ends up. I mean, it would be nice if it ended up that way. But yeah. The problem is you have to put windows in it. And I suppose that's what Richard Serra doesn't want to do in his pieces, put windows in them. This is a south-facing uh, courtyard, and there's cafe and stuff. So this, this is the communal space, and these are the offices. And that's the finished design, this existing building. These are brick and, and stainless and colored metal. This is the um, child care center. The cafe is right there. This is a, these are classrooms. And you can kind of see that space coming together, that central space in the construction. This is the, the rear of it. We had to connect to another existing building um, we put one of these spheres on the entrance, and they loved it. And this Bill Gates is paying for this part. Another guy's paying for this part. Another guy's paying for this part. <laughs> and this guy, when he saw that on Bill Gates' part, <laughs> but I don't. We don't have the money to build those those two things yet. And, and they were going to be very uh, uh, electronic, all kinds of gadgetry that MIT guys work on. These are the windows mock-ups. This is a this is a small museum that's under construction now in Hereford, Germany, and it's an existing building. This slide is in. Backwards, it should be the other way. You're looking at here from here. And there's a uh, small Kunsthalle. It started out as a building for a specific collection. And then after it was designed, it ended up being a, a Kunsthalle for changing shows, run by a very, very talented wild man in uh, who, who's from Brussels, who's done many great uh, art shows in Europe. And uh, the poor guy is going to get jammed into this. He likes big white boxes to put his art in. Uh, this is brick and this is metal. This is brick, metal. It's the Hereford something or other. And you walk into the old building and these are uh, galleries as well as offices. There's a cafe on the back, and there's a little river here on the back, up, up behind. Sorry a minute, I went too fast, I think.
Did I? Yeah. No. You got to put this one. Is somebody up there doing it? <laughs> okay, so this is how the office looks when we're working. And um, we make, I would say, at least 50 models, probably. And these, you see the small, it starts with these little blocks like this. This is the beginning of it. And then it goes somewhere else. And we work at several scales at once. So we have a smaller scale model and a bigger one, a context model, and then it looks like a tailor shop with all these patterns and pieces. This shows you how we started actually with a, a block. So we do, before we deform it and get fancy, we do start with a pretty orthogonal scheme. And some people would prefer I stayed there, but. No, these are about a sequence again. Go back. Go back on that one, too. Okay, that's it. So these are the interior models and the structure are made like this. And this is the interior. We try to keep the interior forms consistent with the exterior, but we do shift them around if they don't look as good inside. And I'm not prissy about that, although there's some uh, purity police around that make fun of it when I don't, when this doesn't exactly meet the outside. And that seems to be an old hang-up that uh, art historians have about architecture. Uh, this is in Scotland. The architects here would know Charlie Jenks. He's an architectural critic. His wife uh, had cancer, died. She had a five-year tough time. And she started a uh, clubhouse, uh, a series of clubhouses around uh, Great Britain for patients to uh, come to where they'd feel at home because the oncology centers are, uh, what do I do, are kind of bizarre and cold and so from the oncology center, you look down across the meadow, and they gave us this site to build a little. And so there's the oncology center, and here's the site. And the plan is from, from the oncology center, a relaxed room for, for yoga, a kitchen with a big table so people can sit around and, and talk about things. Uh, a library, a office, and some therapy rooms. Very small, very tiny, and an outside deck. And then there's a stairway that goes up, and there's a private, up in the top of this, there's a private little uh, group therapy room. There's the therapy room. And I started with a lighthouse, a simple lighthouse box and a tower. And I wanted the, uh, I wanted, since we were looking down at the roof from the oncology center, I wanted something soft. And when this, when the clouds go over 
and the shadows will reflect. It'll, it'll move very softly across this uh, corrugated surface. And it reminded me of Maggie. I, you don't know Maggie, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But I had done something quite different than this in the earlier models. And because uh, Charlie kept egging me on, he said, this has got to be your Ronchamp. you got to do Ronchamp here. you got to... And so I tried, and it got... I had a dream one night that Maggie came to me and said, Frank, stop it. <laughs> of, course, of course, it was all in my own head, but... So I threw out everything and started over again and made a building that Maggie would like, which is... This is a, a building at Case Western in Cleveland. This is the law school and the law library, and they gave me this site. I actually had till the end of the trees here for a while. And then the president decided that, since this was an urban, fairly urban campus, that if he gave all that space to the, the business school, they would be running out of land. So he made me make a taller building so that just programmatically I was out of scale with everything. And then when I added my stuff to it, um, I, it's a little pushy. There it is. I don't have good pictures of it. Uh, there's a sculpture by Philip Johnson here. It's kind of the usual mishmash of stuff, so I'm just another mishmash as part of it. <laughs> the interior is very tight. These are classrooms stacked, and there's one of the cracks, and I'm just bringing light in in these crevasses, and this is the beginning of it. Uh, and this, the student activity is all under here. This is in uh, Hanover. Um, the bus company, the guys, and the streetcar company owned this site, and uh, it was a tiny site, and they wanted a, an office building for themselves. And the red light district is right here. It's a, and it's got neon and stuff. And uh, they wanted to be have a, a play a, a role in this pl plaza or this open space. And so by squeaking the building like this, it gave it a presence here. This is the one that got away. Uh, it's the New York Times building in, uh, on 8th Avenue. And I won't go into why we're, we're not doing it. We quit ourselves. I, I can tell you a little bit about it. We were... <laughs> <laughs> the New York Times to me is Tom Frieden, uh, Anthony Lewis, Maureen Dowd, uh, 
and there's a big newsroom to be made. And so we made a newsroom, and that's represented on the outside in this bulge. It was like a, a stair step through these floors, and the newsroom was all visible. You could look up and see everybody. And it, I really got carried away with the newsroom and, and got excited about it. And this building grew from that idea, and the, the idea that they wanted a a uh, brand, a building that when you looked at it said New York Times. So we got into the logo of the New York Times and started, and so these shapes sort of came out of that, that discussion and the, and the newsroom. And when we presented the model, they loved it. They really loved it. But they said they didn't really want us to build that newsroom like that, that the New York Times had other other priorities, and I couldn't figure out what those might be. <laughs> so I got judgmental, and we left. <laughs> <laughs> That's only part of the story. <laughs> uh, the day we left... The project, and that's David Childs and I. David Childs, that's Skidmore Rings Merrill. The day we left, um, this was in the New York Times that same day, and I thought it sort of had something to do with it was Garbo and Leave Me Alone and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Recently, as a favor to some friends, I, uh, Craig and I worked on this. Uh, that's Lincoln Center buried in there. And uh, there are 12 or 11 constituencies at Lincoln Center. And they, one person has a veto over anything. So uh, the guy that runs the, the New York, the uh, Metropolitan Opera, loves this space, doesn't want anybody to touch it, doesn't care if you get wet when you come. And he just, I mean, it's just his opinion. A lot of, and there were a lot of people that had that love affair with Lincoln Center. We were asked to uh, make it more human, more accessible, more uh, uh, functional by making it, it possible to drop off undercover and to um, do things to it without losing it. So we started to play in glass that would separate it from it. And they asked us what would happen if we covered it entirely and we made this kind of, so this is a sketch model. Uh, Avery Fisher, you would, in this scheme, they wanted to enter directly from uh, Columbus. And the uh, New York City, the dance, the New York City Ballet wanted uh, program new spaces on this side for a rehearsal. We made a scheme where this is behind Avery, in front of the Met, and behind the New York City Opera, there's a spine of space that would, so you could get off 65th Street or 62nd, come in to a Galleria, and then uh, enter all the theaters from there. And because it's behind everything, it would be a place for cafes and things like that that wouldn't uh, change the character of of uh, that uh, Josie Robertson Plaza. 
They also asked us to look at the fountain and come up with an idea for that. And I have this brass egg that was sitting on my desk that my ex-wife gave me once. <laughs> it's my memory of her. So I put it on the, <laughs> on the model. Anyway, this thing really bombed, if you've been reading the New York Times. And nobody's seen it. It's never been, uh, except those 11 people. Um, this is the Corcoran, Washington, D.C. They have this little piece of land. Um, they need an addition. Uh, they, they held a competition. Um, the competition was for building an art school here and some galleries and refurbishing this. And so the art school is kind of buried in the building and has no identity. So we made a facade with an art school. These are facing north and a new entry for the art school and a side entry for the museum. We won the competition. Uh, and there's a lot more work went into this than I'm showing you. Uh, we did a complete analysis of the inside and how to arrange everything. After we won the competition, like always happens in competitions, the clients always change the program. You're, you start over again. And uh, they, they liked the idea of doing this, that they wanted to make this the main entrance to the museum and put the art school back in the basement where it always has been. <laughs> so these are a, a sampling of the kind of models that we work on uh, with the organization of all the rooms and spaces so you can see it, as well as lots of block models. And finally, we ended up with this kind of simpler facade with the main entrance into it. And these are some of the blocks that show the a new um, central space that opens off the old central space. And uh, this is the scale of the pieces and the parts. And this is a plan. It doesn't read very well, but the entry, uh, bookstore, I, I forget what this is, <laughs> the service entrance. And there are some galleries. And we kind of made an island in the middle with bridges to it so that we could bring light down into the uh, school below and then we cut holes in the uh, setback to bring light down into the school below. So the school has a very nice identity with this scheme. As people go into the museum they see students and there's, uh, they, they understand that there is an art school as part of it. Here's the section of that, the, the uh, street, the skylights, and then down into the uh, space. And this shows it in, in the model. This line would be about here, or somewhere in here. And that the shapes go down into the... Um... So this is the, the finished model, this existing building. In order to make this work, we had to make a composition between the old building and, the, and this old building, which isn't very nice. This is very nice. 
and it's covered with uh, white marble. And I wanted desperately to make this in white marble so that we connected these. But I realized that if we did that, it would wreck the relationship with this building, even though we don't like that building. We had to make a composition with it, otherwise this, this wouldn't fly, as far as I was concerned. This is below the street level, uh, looking back toward the street, down below, with the classrooms that are down there. And this shows that kind of uh, building inside that's made uh, with galleries, and it's kind of like a like an old quarry, and it brings light into the uh, student area and separates the the uh, uh, students from the main traffic. This also is the student area down on the lower level. We're not sure what material yet. Uh, probably we can only afford stainless steel, but. That's looking down from the top. So you can see the old building is in there. Uh, this is an unusual building for the Fine Arts Commission in Washington, you can imagine. Uh, and uh, we, we passed with flying colors, so things are changing over there. You can see down the uh, skylights down to the uh, lower level. There's a lot of connections we tried to make. Uh, uh, there wasn't money to do it exactly the way it would have made more sense to really interconnect this thing. But it does connect, but it doesn't connect as much visually as we wanted to do. This is in uh, the Rioja region of Spain. It's called a little town called El Ciego. It's 50 miles east of Bilbao. And it's the wine region. And this is the winery. It's a huge space. And all the winery buildings are pretty much built. You come into town on this road, there's the cathedral. Uh, and we were given this site to build a small hotel. So this building here, I guess, is this building. And uh, the small hotel is 14 rooms with a restaurant and a conference room. And uh, they say it's uh, going to have a, I don't know how many star chef, but um, so as you approach this, the winery, you come in here and then this thing sticks up on top. Those are the hotel rooms. And it's kind of like a dancing figure uh, that... I thought it looked like a flamenco skirt of some kind. Uh, this will be stone. And uh, we're using several metals. I've, all my life, I've, I'm, I love painting. I, I 
paintings inspire me all for most of my life. And uh, so naturally you would try to make a painterly building. Well, it's hard to make a painterly building because the parts of the building go together are mostly rectilinear. And so you can make a hard edge painting, but it's very hard to blur those edges. And so on this building, we tried to, to do that. And it's a combination of stainless and titanium. And the check-in is here. I mean, four, 14 rooms isn't a lot of traffic. They're going to build 30 more up on, on here as a second phase. And so they're preparing for great success. This is Marques de Riscal Winery. Anybody wants to come, give me a call. We'll get your room. This is in Biloxi, Mississippi, and it's not a place that I yearn to go to. Uh, there's a potter called the Mad Potter of Biloxi, George Orr, O-H-R. And some of my friends collect his pots. And if you look at those pots, you think I got all my buildings from those pots. And they thought it would be wonderful if I would do the museum. It was tiny. It was uh, like a very tiny budget, $5 million budget when we started. It went up to 12 actually, at the end. They kept adding things. But the site is tree. It has these beautiful uh, oak trees. And uh, you can't move the trees. You can't tear down a tree. And you had to build on the site without doing that. So, And the adjacent buildings uh, look like this, brick with white. Um, there's George. <laughs> there, there's his pot. <laughs> he was a miraculous figure. He was actually the the used car dealer in, in uh, Biloxi <laughs> as his main occupation and then he had this potting shed where he did these things. The little brick building that I showed you, the little house is here and it was set back this distance. I decided to make a bunch of pavilions and then respect this kind of setback line so that there was a contextual response and also the houses, the little houses behind. We added a uh, small uh, shotgun house that they found and we're refurbishing and it has a little porch and you come in on the little porch and it's, it's the front entrance, kind of. Uh, the program was for George Orr, uh, African art, both American, African, and, and, uh, and African, African, and contemporary, a little cafe, a bookstore, some administrative back of house, a office, two-story two office building for the uh, staff, a conference room for the board of directors, and underneath a ceramic studio, and they'll actually be teaching ceramics here. I put the biggest building on this street because what you don't see here, there's a crappy motel building here. 
And so uh, it was easy to justify slamming up against it and keeping this sort of in the scale of what, what was here. This is what my sketches are scribbles. They don't mean anything to anybody until the building's built. And then somehow, by some miracle, it looks like the sketch. Those are the, the black things are the trees, I think. No, no, the black things are the buildings. These are the trees. <laughs> so these are, the, here's the shotgun house. Here's where you park. That's the bookstore. You go in here. And they have a thing in the south called a shoe fly, which is for that, to shoe the flies away. Usually they're down about this height, but I put one on top. And we added, uh, we made parts of the buildings in brick, the same brick that that old house. So the old house is right, right next on this model. And uh, these are the setbacks. And at first I started out with... Uh, what the client sort of expected me to do, mimicking George Orr. Or since he came first, I was mimicking him. Uh, and it just would have been a disaster to do that. It tri trivialized it. So we kept at it. We got rid of that. But uh, this is the little African building. It has a large room and then these this little apps with uh, small uh, niches for the art. And every building has a porch like this. So there's a porch here and there's a porch here. and there's a So that people can go from porch to porch. We'll probably give them umbrellas in between. Uh, and we decided to put all the didactic stuff on the porch. So when you go into the museum and look at the pots or the paintings, you only get one label, you don't get a whole story about who did what to whom. And these are just more iterations, the modern museum, the little cafe, the shoe fly, the African building, and then the ceramic studios with its courtyard, uh, the offices and the boardroom, and then this thing is a vault. And the vault is made so that when the typhoon comes, they usually know about it. They take everything out of these places and put it in the vault. And so they needed a vault to do that. Everything has to be up on stilts because this thing floods and gets all kinds of horrible things happen on that Gulf Coast. This is the final design with the trees. This is the ore building from, from that street, from the main highway. You come in on the other side. And you can see the relationship of this to that little building I did in Hanover where we twisted. And I loved that uh, shape of that. And so I made four pavilions, uh, taking the, the twist a lot further because it was smaller, and making a fair, so it doesn't compete with uh, George Orr Potts. There's the shoe fly. And the George Orr Museum has a, a uh, porch. This has a porch. And then the modern museum and the cafe are joined with a roof so that they can have, a, have parties there. 
there's enough room for outdoor activity undercover. This is a final model of the design without the trees, so you get a sense of the, the shotgun house, the shoe fly. This is looking from above the modern museum, that roof that connects uh, stairways in brick that go up to the shoe fly, or pavilions, the African, the big room and the small one, uh, the boardroom, and so on. And this is a larger scale model of the Orr building where we start working on the interiors. And this is just the beginning of the interior, so don't hold me to that. But you can, you can warn the purity police that I'm doing it again. I'm not. Uh, I guess they never heard of Pochet. Palladio did that, too. Little cafe looking out the other way, the shoe fly. These, these are the larger scale models of the, the interiors. So it's, it's not just crumpled paper, like they think. Uh, this is the offices and the boardroom, the, the vault. And then, so you come in here, there's kind of an open space between that can be used for events. Wow. Are you from Biloxi? <laughs> oh. Craig, when is it complete? We finished uh, we finished our design and like what happens these days, you finish the design and then people go fundraising. And we ne we're never told about that in the beginning. We're always told that no no, everything's fine, we got all the money. And then things like September 11 happen and, you know, stock markets go down, all kinds of things. So, uh, This is closer to you. You can go here. This is at Bard College. And we were given a wonderful site. At first we were given a, ba a bad site and, and the community objected to it. It was uh, tied to the old art school. And uh, we had some public furor about that. And it forced the school to give us uh, this site, which is much better, and build a new complex with a theater, uh, a concert hall, for 800 to 1,000 seats, and uh, a theater, how many, how many seats is that, 400, 200. And since it backed up onto the woods, uh, we made the, the back of it very boxy and simple out of concrete block and then put these flowing uh, uh, garments on it something the purity police would just get me for they'll ding me for this one and these are the sketches of how how I start and this is a plan of the auditorium. With This is set up to do opera with a pit and a fly and, uh, and, the, and the storage, the service serves both. So it's going to be a very professional um, concert hall and theater for teaching at Bard. It's going to be a, an amazing facility. That's the interior of the, the concert hall. 
and the orchestra on stage. And we used the same acoustician from Japan. Speaks a little better English now. Uh, he's wonderful to work with. I, 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 acoustician and architect uh, marriages are usually disastrous. And we've had just a blessed time with him. Uh, the way I work with him is I do everything he asks, everything, everything he does. And uh, I just interpret it, and he always says, that's better, that's better. So we're doing good. So, But nothing has opened yet, so we don't know how it's going to sound. Uh, there's a foyer and stairs up to the balconies, toilets and stuff. And uh, they, they wanted an outdoor area in front so they could have lectures in the summer and even performances outdoors using this as kind of a stage. And so we built this roof that is a skylight from about here up and then is a, a hood for over here. So when you go in, you look back at the trees in the glass, through the glass. And the theater is down lower and has a continuation of this quality down into the trees. This is how far along it is right now. Um, Now, we couldn't have done this without the computer. The computer can cut the, can, uh, the, when we develop the shapes and put them in the computer, that program can cut the steel. So you really don't need paper, except for the building department. Uh, we build models of every building we do this. We build the, the structure, structural frame. So, so we can visualize it uh, better and, and uh, modify it as we, as we go. This is another New York project it's, uh, that got canceled after 9-11. There's Cooper Union, it's uh, Astor Place. Uh, Rem Cool's house had done a scheme with Herzog and Demoran for the um, Schrager Hotel people. That didn't work out very well. Uh, they asked us to do it. We did tons of models, you can see tons and tons of models. I sort of like, I don't know if there's another one that shows it, but this creating a, an excedra in creating a space that was with the hotel wrapping around it that uh, as you look down the avenue you would see it. There's pictures of it. And it's, it, this, uh, this economically wouldn't have flown anyway, but um, we uh, stopped on September 11. Yeah, that, that's the image of it. And this would be glass. So it is, I do crumple paper, you see, some of it's true. 
And then the, the one, the scheme that would work economically is this one, which is lower and uh, gets more program on the site, more, actually gets more rooms and makes it more economically feasible. And this is where we got to when, when uh, everything had to stop. This is Chicago, Grant Park. Uh, they're building a thing called Millennium Park. That's Michigan Avenue. And we've been asked to do a small outdoor concert thing here. A shell. They wanted just a band shell. Um, 15,000 people sit out on the lawn. If you just do a band shell and put speakers here, by the time it gets here, it sounds like a cheap car radio. Which, you know, you can't beat that. So, uh, one solution is to put speakers on poles every 70 feet throughout the audience, but then you're looking through a forest of poles and it blocks your uh, view of the stage. So, we convinced them to build a trellis and hang the speakers. This is under construction. Uh, I had done another scheme without all this stuff on it, which was very Miesian, was very simple. I thought Chicago should respect uh, its architectural leaders, but they hated it. <laughs> so it's functional right to there. And this piece is decorative. Then, of course, you can project all kinds of things on the facade, and that's becoming a, a, a fashionable thing to do these days. I wanted to show this for architecture students mostly, but We've just started working on Art Center in, in Pasadena, and there's an existing building by Craig Elwood. It's a long rectilinear building. You'll see it better on the next slide. Uh, so this is Elwood. This is his original building. He died, and then his, his assistant built this, which kind of ruined it. We wanted to take it out, but it was too expensive. Uh, it's to build a library and a um, uh, art school, more, more studios and workshops and things for the art school. And then finally do some uh, theater stuff on the other side. And it's, this is just a master plan. But I brought, um, I, we were given the whole job. We could have done it all ourselves. I like the collaborative process, so, and I've been dying to bring Alvaro Siza a Portuguese architect to count to LA to do projects because he grew up in Portugal and his architecture grew from that uh, Spanish idiom through the years to a modern interpretation of it. And I thought that kind of architecture would fit in Southern California. And so Alvaro is doing, we gave him most of the project and we just kept a little library to do. He's doing these studios, and we worked on the master plan together. It's, it was a lot of, it's been a lot of fun. 
this, uh, this, I mean, it might be 10 years before this is done. This is fundraising up the kazoo. For, uh, again, I brought this for architecture students more than any. Um, Howard Hughes built the Spruce Goose here. This is Playa Vista in California. And the client wanted to build a, office, a series of office buildings to put back the buildings that were torn down that were in this area. And they had to be cheap. They're under 100 bucks a square foot. So there's real cheap buildings. So there isn't room to make many moves. And I was trying to develop a language that made a, a consistent and, and uh, had something to say about a, a, a complex, you know, in, in architectural history, there's the AEG works in Berlin. And uh, and Albert Kahn in Detroit, where where there was a kind of consistent grouping of buildings done by one architect, which usually I don't believe in that. I usually like to split it up. But when you're working on such tight budgets, having being able to spread out, you can create an architectural character that you couldn't create if you only did one building at a time. And so the first. We, we've only designed this one, this one, and this one. This is a sketch. And this paving pattern, this is asphalt paving. And we, you can get a lot of, you, you can just paint it. So it's very cheap. It, in the end, it won't be this bright. Uh, but we're just exploring. So this kind of shows you the character that we were trying to achieve with these um, very inexpensive buildings. I'm running, I'm running over, I think. This is a uh, winery on the Niagara Peninsula, Canada. It's Vincor. It's a big wine conglomeration. They do ice wine. They've married themselves to a French uh, Winery, and they're doing a joint project, and it's called Le Clos Jordan. I don't know where they got that name, but I think Jordan, there's a town called Jordan near here, and I guess that's what they, uh, it's a building sitting out in the middle of the vineyard. And we've been struggling with it for quite a while. These are some of the early models. This is where the wine will be made. So the final plan is, this is the entry. This, these are the wine vats where the, where the wine, after it's uh, pressed, is put into these fermentation vats. And then it drops down to the lower level for storage. We built a, a dining room in the middle of all that, which is a tradition in winer, wineries. People are leaving me. <laughs> we created a great hall. Uh, the white wine cellar is here. And so when you walk in, it's kind of like a cathedral, a uh, big space. And standing here, you can see the whole thing. You can see all the wine presses and everything. And then you can explore it. There's a tour. So the inside, I'm not sure we're going to be able to afford this, but we wanted glass columns filled with wine. With <laughs> with little spigots so you can... <laughs>
And the, the roof is, we started with kind of a blanket and then cut these troughs through it. And this is, this is more final design. We're toying with using uh, a colored titanium. Uh, but in the end, I'm not sure how, how it's going to go. But it's an exercise in where the walls are all plaster. The roof is all metal and playing with these lines in space and a uh, kind of a composition of line work that look somehow like this is the closest to one of my sketches that I've ever gotten in a building. And I think their budget was 18 million and we're at 19, so we're not, not too bad. We probably cut it out and get, get closer to them. We want to use a great structural engineer from Stuttgart, George Schleich, who's the best structural engineer that I've ever run across. And, uh, he does these mesh membrane structures and, uh, promised me he can do this all out of wood. And uh, that'll bring the cost down from our, our budget. This is Jerusalem, and that's the Dome, Dome of the Rock. This is the Hilton Hotel. This is a Herodian cistern. This is a Muslim cemetery and a Jerusalem park. This is our site. There's a um, thing called Cat Square, which is here. So you're looking, this is the cistern, this is the Hilton. So you're looking this way on here. And these pedestrian streets come to this square and they let us put, our program is to design a hall, a um, museum of tolerance. When you have to say you're tolerant, it means, I don't know about that, but anyway. Uh, it's, it's, it's with the Simon Wiesenthal Center, and it's a building where all the people who hate each other are supposed to meet. And uh, the conscience of it is this Museum of Tolerance, which has been very successful in L.A., and they do lots of programs with the Los Angeles Police Department and the New York Police Department uh, with game, uh, like therapy games, therapy games that are like uh, group therapy uh, using uh, uh, a diner. They start with a diner and you have film, you push a button, you get a film that describes a situation and then uh, somebody gets killed and then with pushing the button you can interrogate the uh, people who were involved with the crime and ask them questions and arrive at a, uh, uh, a, a uh, feeling about who did what to whom. Um, that'll be on the ground floor. And, and so that's the museum, this crescent shape. And then the Great Hall, which is for banquets and meetings of all these people that don't like each other. And... Uh, there's a conference center and conference rooms and a library on top. And the theater, which will have movies on tolerance, like Gentleman's Agreement and stuff like that, I guess. I don't know. 
And then there was a need for a... Uh, I mean, food is a big thing with the Jews, you know. And so the Jewish guys uh, wanted a big cafeteria. And so we made a, a restaurant that looks out onto the, um, to this. It's, I'm Jewish, and that's how I got the problem I got with eating. This is a diagram, the two halls and the uh, uh, Museum of Tolerance, the cafe, and the theater. That's the diagram of it, and they all interact. Here's the great hall, the... the um, auditorium, conference facilities, bookstore, uh, the museum, the cafe, the theater. And this creates a plaza that terminates all these, uh, these things. We started like this with the Great Hall. That was the hardest thing. Uh, for some reason, perver maybe perverse reason, I started with a mosque. Because a mosque is the only uh, space of that size that I've ever seen that has is infinitely democratic. You approach it from a lot of sides. There's no hierarchy. And it seemed like an, an appropriate um, symbol. And um, uh, I, I explained all that to the rabbi, and he was okay with it. <laughs> Um, and we made a lot of sketch models with this uh, armature. This is the plan. You can see the Museum of Tolerance with its exhibits, which will be like an amphitheater, and people will come in to the top floor and then filter down back through it. This is the Great Hall, the conference center, uh, the bookstore, the theater with and the restaurant. So it's, it's a fairly simple program. This faces out into the park. This faces out into the park. This is a sketch, an early sketch of the plan before this all happened, where we started. And this is the beginning sketch of the final design for the Great Hall, which we decided to make a, only one step instead of three, because it gave a nicer scale to the interior. These were some of the early study models for the Great Hall. And it's something I hadn't done before with this repetitive element. And that's the final uh, design for that, that piece. So that's the, the centerpiece of the project. This will be Jerusalem stone, everything that's wood is Jerusalem stone. That's the library on top of the conference center. And in order to cross this main street, uh, they asked us to, bri to bridge it. So pe because of this high security, people going from here to the theater, they wanted them to be enclosed to go, go through. Finally, we're at Princeton. And this is the first model. 
to prove to you we're really working on it. Uh, This is not a scheme, but you know where you are better than I. Uh, These are are the beginning blocks. There's the Richard Serra. There's your uh, Vignoli's uh, Stadium. And I won't explain any more than that. It's just this is the beginning. This is how we start. And we're hoping to, we're, we're enjoying it. We're hoping to make something special. Thank you. Time for a few questions. I didn't use it. You noticed I didn't sit in the chair. <laughs> yeah, there's one question there. Expressive, more like sculpture and art. I mean, is there some connection that you have personally to creating a more natural space with what you do, or more connected to nature? Uh, well, there's a whole history of fish. I don't know if you've heard about it. <laughs> um, I work very intuitively. I don't plan to do anything. Uh, I, I immerse myself in the program, the people, and I very much need an interaction with the client. It, it doesn't work. If I don't have that, I, I don't produce good work. I need that kind of connection. And that's what makes me do whatever differences there are. It, it keeps you from repeating yourself because each situation becomes an, a new experience. Uh, the the language that has evolved, you can see it from the beginning. I, I didn't show you the beginning. Uh, is an attempt to get feeling in a building. So I felt that modernism took it all out and and uh, made these faceless kind of buildings. Not the great architecture of modernism, but the 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 uh, distortion of it by the the building industry. I don't consider most of that architecture, but the the trivialization of modernism um, made made it hard to continue on that path, especially when uh, the postmodern wor- world came into being and. Um, I was very angered that we had to go back to Greek temples. And uh, so I said to myself, well, if we're going to Greek temple, if we're going back, why don't we go back further? And uh, 
fish are 300 million years before man, man being the metaphor, the, the um, inspiration for the, the uh, temples. Uh, and I started drawing fish as an angry move. <laughs> and I made some things that looked like fish. And I realized that the movement, the subtle movement, when I built a few buildings that looked that came out of that, uh, even though the first ones were very, very kitsch, I mean, they're embarrassing, but they were the first, the baby steps kind of, of going into that language. And I learned how to build them. And with very slight movement, you could get a, a wonderful feeling that the building was there there was it was living now the idea of movement in sculpture is goes way back to Phidias in in uh, and probably before so there's nothing new in it it's just that it making a an inert object look like there the, there's motion uh in seemed like a logical uh replacement for decoration and the need for embellishment of a building to give it uh, human, human, to make it humanized uh, seemed uh, important. And I, this was another form of embellishment for me. And the language just grew. And in a few buildings, it got out of, out of control, I can tell you. <laughs> uh, but... Mostly, it's been been a uh, for me a personally a great exploration, and, and uh, there are a few clients that call me to do it. Now, I'm not going to continue doing the same thing. I hope. Uh, in fact, the building in Berlin is perversely rectilinear, except for the uh, piece in the middle. But it related to the uh, the context I was in in Berlin. So I think the I take my clues from the program, the people, the context, the budget, and and uh, explore. It's now that I know how to build those curves. It's hard not to to do it because uh, curves don't cost that much more than a rectilinear. In fact, the rectilinear buildings we we've done are always more expensive because you have to. Apply a lot more detail in the in the uh, perfection of it, whereas the curvilinear shapes uh, are more forgiving, give you a lot more freedom in how it goes together, and you can use more standard building techniques and still get the the strength without uh, fussing the details. And that seems more appropriate today, the, to me anyway. I'm just an old lib, so do-gooder, so. Um, that that's why I do it. Now, where I'm going with it, I have no clue. If I did, I wouldn't do it, probably. Uh, Jim? I could really at the both around human period and all comes to how it should be. Shoeboxes. You can see the hammer of a shoebox also. I suppose the outside could be any form you want. The inside could be a shoebox. <laughs> Well, mine is a wide shoebox, so it's like it's like a combination, uh, huh? Wide, wide, yeah. Boston is seventy-one or seventy-two feet, and we're how much? Hundred and hundred feet. 
Um, but we have those ears that come down over the wider parts that reflect back, supposedly. The, uh, when, I, when we won the competition for Disney Hall, the first violinist said to me at a meeting, Mr. Gary, we don't need an architect. You just go to Boston and measure it and build it for us. And <laughs> he, was, uh, he was serious about that. Uh, I found out that he made, uh, I was lucky to find out that he, in his hobby, made replicas of Stradivariuses. So at the next meeting, I said, Sidney, I've been thinking about what you said. When you make a replica of a Stradivarius, does it sound like a Stradivarius? So I got him. Gotcha. <laughs> One last question. But just before I say, there have been many shoeboxes built new, and they don't work like Boston. So just, you can't do it. Yes. Yeah. And the same day, uh, there was a show at the Leopold City Gallery that had a Rauschenberg uh, 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 and a Jasper Jones that was like taking it like all. And I always thought that this chaos of the fish that they were doing and the kind of paint on the strokes, there was a relationship there. There was. Is that a kind of. Whoa. Those guys are my generation. We grew up together. We know each other. We've talked for years. And, and yeah, it's a big deal for me. There is, for me, I feel that a lot of architects, I say they're not art smart. They don't have a sense of what is going on. It's a visual field, after all. There's, the language is transferable and is. Uh, uh, inspirational and can be useful and it goes both ways in our lives because when I started doing cardboard furniture Bob Rauschenberg took the cardboard and started making stuff Frank Stella started uh, doing it and we talked to each other through the work and Richard Sarah and I talked to each other through our work all the time uh, you can see a lot of evidence in my work you can, the torqued ellipses that he did uh, were done through my office with our computer guys, so so that um, there is a lot of cross pollination, as it were, and I love that. I, um, yeah, I think there is. You're right about that. Okay, let us thank Mr. Giri again for his lecture. <laughs> <laughs>